What's up with Ludwig spending $250,000 on fishing merch? That's the first thing we talk about on the show today. We also respond to some criticism about whether or not this show should be behind a paywall. We get into paywall strategies and how creators can think about charging for their content. And then we answer the question, are too many young people wanting to be creators right now? Is it a bad thing? Because they might get replaced by AI. That's another part of the question. That's the second part of the question, Colin. It's a two-parter. And then as you get to the deep end of the episode, someone asks how I'm doing. And we'll get into that. We will get into that. (laughs) All right. Well, welcome to Creator Support, the show where we answer your questions about the business of being a creator. If you get to the deep end, let us know. All right. So Ludwig spent a lot of money on his new fishing merchandise. $250,000. To be exact. Yeah. And now this merch comes from his podcast, The Yard, Mm -hmm. which has been growing quite a bit the past couple of years and is a pretty impressive, just kind of like empire to me. Like Ludwig is empire building in a way that I think is kind of like subtle. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. it's very subtle. And I think a part of that is also because his content is understated. A lot of his content is him sitting in a room. Mm -hmm. And The Yard has this like really cool kind of like comedy podcast feel they launched this merchandise line, this like fishing merchandise line with a pretty funny high production video that didn't make a ton of sense, but I think that's part of it, mm-hmm. just kind of comedy. The one thing I really like about this, because at a glance, it makes no sense. You're like, this is not a fishing podcast. They, you can even buy like tackle, which mm-hmm. I don't even know what that is because I've never fished in my life. Yeah, last you? time I fished, uh, I was nine years old near the train station. Okay. Um, that was the last time. So you can buy a yard code tackle box for $95. You can buy a hat, uh, like a bucket hat for $40. They have vests, like a utility vest for $60. A parka for $165,000. Um, the whole thing is like such a fun little capsule of fishing stuff. The thing that I really like about this is... When we had Ludwig on our show and we talked to him, he talked about the subathon. And what he talked about with his subathon was that it was actually kind of boring. Like if you watch the subathon every day, he didn't really do anything. But the concept of the subathon was exciting. And I think this falls into some of that same, you know, opportunity when it comes to marketing. You know, we wrote about this in the published press. This is the first yard merch drop that. I'm hearing about, that we're talking about, that we're writing about, because the story is interesting. And I think the lesson here is that the story of what you're doing is oftentimes more interesting than what you're actually doing. Does that make sense? Is what I say just make sense? Yeah, let's clarify a few things here. So The Yard, of course, is not a fishing-centric podcast. Yeah. It's a comedy podcast where these guys riff. They launch merch that is fishing themed, but also just straight up fishing gear. Mm -hmm. That's very unexpected. So that's what's making headlines. Throw in the fact that they spent what feels like an unreasonable amount of money to do it. To do it. uh, That's what makes it unexpected and that's what creates a headline. So there's value in them creating a headline here. And then when he was talking about the subathon, yes, the subathon like going live for, you know, days and days on end is boring, But what he was also talking about is that his everyday streams are not what people are going to remember. It's the story of the Mm subathon, right? Because it was this big event. What he was saying is, as a creator, 
your day-to-day videos, your day-to-day work, when someone looks back a year from now, they're not going to really remember the specific video. They will remember the overarching story of probably some of the bigger things you did. For us last year, the Mr. Beast documentary, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that was like the story. Yeah. And I even remember the first time we released our interview with Mr. Beast. Months and months and months, sometimes years later, people were like, what's the next thing? Yeah, And you're like, oh, wow, that's what you've retained from a year. I also think, though, if you zoom out, like, even our interview show or this show, it's like, it's about how we make you all feel, right? Mm -hmm. People who are listening or watching more than it is about minute 47 of an interview. Yeah. You know, it's about the overarching concept of what we're doing. And I think sometimes creators forget about that, that like trying to think of what the story is of what you're doing. There's a great tactic that Jeff Bezos instilled in Amazon, which was in order to pitch something, you had to write the press release for it. So like if you wanted to launch a new feature, you had to write the press release for it. And I think with videos or as creators like launching new projects, I think that's a really good practice. How are people gonna talk about this? What's the headline? And if the headline's kind of like, doesn't really, you know, stick, then maybe workshop a little bit more. Why does it, why does this make sense that you're doing it? And also what you said, why is it kind of unexpected? How's it going to break through? Mm -hmm. Especially in a world where today there's so much happening. Like to get people to talk about something that you're doing is pretty hard. Yeah. There is so much happening in a given span of like three days. Like when we leave our office on Friday and come back Monday, the amount of stuff that has happened Mm -hmm. is astonishing. So to get people to talk about stuff, you have to be pretty unexpected. This might not make money. Who knows? They might not make their 250 back. But what is going to happen is more people are going to find out about the yard. Mm -hmm. More people are going to be interested in their next merch drop. And more people might find out about the Patreon because their Patreon is how you can, like right now, you can't buy this merch unless you're a patron. It's only available to the highest tier, the highest paying tier of their Patreon. Right. Now, their Patreon, I knew it made good money, mm-hmm. but I went to go check. <laughs> 29,911 patrons paying $201,000 a month. That's incredible. That's an unbelievable engine. And it's so fascinating that with some Patreon accounts or Patreon funded shows, the number is public. Yeah. Right? Like how unique is that, that I know how many patrons they have and how much money they bring in yeah. every month. It, it does put in, of course, there's like a, you know, few guys on the show, the production's pretty high. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they're incorporating like filmed bits, like the yeah, commercial yeah. for the drop of merch that leads into the long form episode is mm-hmm. like really high production. But it puts into context, okay, maybe they are a little bit comfortable taking a loss on $250,000 worth of yeah. fishing merch for the story, for the press. Maybe right. they will earn it back in press and people could, like you said, yeah. join the Patreon. Right. Or buy the next merch drop. Or just like the general value of a Yard fan is very high. So to attract new fans or to create a deeper bond with your fans is worth it. Mm-hmm. There's, It's almost like you can't even look at it as like buying inventory. You can look at it as like creating a story or attracting new fans or strengthening your bond. Like you can look at it in so many different ways. I think what I really appreciate about this merch drop is that, you know, the lowest common denominator for any creator is like, put your name on a shirt and have it be print on demand and put it out. 
for them, they released like actual fishing gear and the website, the yard.sale so looks like a legit fishing company. Like they went to such an extent mm-hmm. to make this look legit and real. I also am going to say it's like one of the nicest functioning websites I've experienced. Yeah. They must have paid a lot of money for the site itself yeah. and like the branding and all that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very nice. But this this bleeds really well into a discussion we were having last week where at the end of the episode last week, we asked the question of um, paywalled creator support. And so, someone asked us the question. We, we discussed it a bit and asked everyone's opinion. And there was a um, very engaged conversation in the subreddit. Mm-hmm. So- this post comes from you slash things elsewhere. What is the point of a paywall on creator support? In the most recent episode of creator support, Colin and Samir again broached the subject of putting the show behind a paywall. But why? We're all perfectly aware that this show doesn't need to be audience funded to exist. Since they say in this same episode, it costs very little to make. Furthermore, the viewership is already remarkably tight knit with 90% coming from subscribers. So there's no advantage to further shrinking this audience to only those who are willing or even able to pay for it. My opinion, a paywall on the Creator Sports show would be an explicit choice by Colin and Samir to provide value to fewer people in order to squeeze more money out of their audience and demonstrate an unabashed prioritization in profit over their community. I might stop there. There's more to this yeah. uh, and there, there's a lot of conversation, but you know, the highest level is... Uh, they're asking the question is like, what, how would this be a positive thing to do? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different components to break up here. Yeah. The first thing we should clear up is around like, does this need to be audience funding? Since they say in the very same episode, it costs very little to make. Yeah. I mean, it does not cost nothing to make. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah of yeah. course. Like we're in a set, there's lights here. Yeah. And we have team members. We have, we, there's more people than me and Colin, right? Like yeah. we have team members who work on the show. Jesse's sitting here right now. Um, we have our producer, Marilyn. Like we, there's a whole uh, business that's running here. There's people upstairs editing. Like everything that we do at Colin and Samir is part of the business, Colin and Samir, right? Like the media business, Colin yeah. and Samir. And, and all of that goes to pay our employees, pay our rent, pay for the gear that's in this room. So like we are absolutely running a business. And also, yeah. And I want to add to that, that like, it, it doesn't have to be monetized through audience funded. It doesn't yes, have to no, be. No, it doesn't have to But be. it does need to contribute to the business in some way. Yeah. And if you look at, you know, last year, we published all of our videos to our main channel, which is obviously way larger than this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's advertising backed. We've published six videos this year. Mm-hmm. That is, by this time last year, we had probably published upwards of 20. 20, yeah. 20 and plus. ended the year around 50. We yeah. may end this year around 15 or yeah. 20, yeah. maybe. True. Um, and we've published the majority of our content on this channel, mm-hmm. which has 20,000 subscribers and is currently not, at this very moment, like funded by uh, advertising. Right. Right? So like yeah. there's been a change in the dynamic of the business too. So like some something does need to give from a business perspective. Like we yeah. do need to figure out some way. Yeah. And, and we figured it and out. And we figured it out. Yeah, we yeah, figured yeah. it out, right? Yeah. And like, we, like we will be like talking about that very soon. Um, but, you know, the, the reality that, that was very interesting, the, the second part of this is that um, if we are to release any level of paywalled content, we would not stop doing the this. Yeah. Like we're not going to stop this. This is, this will always be available. That's actually the most important yeah, part. That's the most important part. Is like same same with like the yard or flagrant or TMG. 
like there would be bonus content. Mm -hmm. So like, and you would have the choice to, you know, deem that valuable to yourself or not as an audience member. We would never, we would never do something where you don't have the choice. Like I believe in everything that we're doing. We want to be free and available to creators to listen to and watch and that's why all of our content is advertising backed and, and put out. That is still the same philosophy. The question is like, you know, what does it feel like to engage with the audience on a direct basis? I, I think that sounds interesting to have the community have say over it. And I think that's probably a lot of what we're going to see as we launch the discord mm -hmm. and see like, what does it feel like to have more of the community's voice? And then are there spaces where there can be you know, more engagement where there's like a, you know, there is a paywall and there's maybe additional stuff and there's uh, more of a say or more of a voice. Like I, w that's all stuff that we will solve as the show goes forward. Yeah. For the time being, this show is going to be available, you know, and like it's, it, it, it will always be available like this uh, in some way, shape or form. That's what we believe in. So I thought this was a really interesting discussion. I appreciated uh, hearing and reading everyone's perspective. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, if we were to do a paywall, uh, we, it would be extra content. Yeah. And, and you'd have absolutely a choice just mm -hmm. like, you know, and the, and the value in that is not just the extra episode. Yeah. The value is also, uh, being a part of how the show gets made. Yes. Right. Like totally. you become someone who is much closer, uh, to the process. Mm -hmm. You are actually helping it get made. Mm -hmm. That's just a different feeling that has value in itself for certain audience members who uh, have the money and want to pay. Like that is Patreon. Exactly. That straight up yeah, or yeah, yeah. like that is community funded content. Yes. Yeah. I think community funded content is super cool. Yeah. Like I, I, I'm a member of uh, a few creators, you mm -hmm. know, uh, either paid communities or uh, Patreons and like, it's really fun. It, feel, it feels like special. Yeah. Like when we did the pay what's fair yeah, with the yes documentary theory. with mm -hmm. Yes Theory, there were people who of course paid the minimum yep. and eventually that movie came out for free. Yep. But there were people who paid the minimum and then there were some people who were like, how can I pay- The maximum. The yeah. maximum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We actually couldn't even accept the amount that some people wanted to pay. Because the for yeah. them, that yeah. channel had such an impact on them totally. and they had the income, yeah. disposable income, and they wanted to support- Mm -hmm. at that level, even though it was like barely an option. Yeah. So I thought it was a good discussion. I, I enjoyed reading through mm -hmm. it, but again, like our philosophy is we will always want this show to be available to all of you. Like that's number one. And then if there's anything additional that will be, yeah. you know, separated. All right. This comes from Twitter flow with Milo, the official account. Do you think too many people are growing up today wanting to become influencers? Do you think that even carving out a career in the creator space will eventually disappear due to the emergence of AI. It's an interesting two-part question. I think we should start with part one. Are too many kids growing up wanting to be influencers? And this is a, I'm sure this comes from that data point that gets shared yeah, all the time yeah. where it's like, kids don't want to be astronauts anymore. 80 something percent say they want to be creators. Mm -hmm. And I would hope, like if I had kids, and they wanted to be creators. Like that's their sole thing that they wanted to be. I would want them to figure out what they care about first outside of just the being, the world of being a creator, mm. right? Like, is there something that you are deeply ingrained in, a community that you deeply care about, a skill set that you have that you want to share via YouTube or social media? Yeah. 
as opposed to being enthralled by the metrics, the viewership, the perception of the lifestyle. I hundred percent agree. I think like YouTube is a way to share something that you do. Yeah. But we have in recent times created this craft of being a YouTube creator, which is like the craft of knowing exactly how mm -hmm. to upload content that will be, that will have mass appeal enough and, and wide enough of range um, that people watch it. Yeah. And I think one thing that's really interesting that I have explored recently is the completion rates between a podcast native platform like Spotify or Apple pods and YouTube, like a really good completion rate on podcast on YouTube is around 30%, like for a long podcast. Mm -hmm. And on audio, you typically see like 80 plus percent. And I think it's so interesting that it's the same content, but the behavior is so different. And the craft of getting someone to watch 100% of a YouTube video is a very different craft than the craft of having a good conversation with someone or being a good interviewer. Mm -hmm. And that those two things, I think sometimes are at odds or really challenging for me. Like I enjoy the craft of having a long form conversation with someone and being um, curious enough to bring out parts of them that they haven't brought out before. That craft and the craft of getting someone to watch 90% of a YouTube video there's a Venn diagram where those overlap. And then there's also times where those aren't together. How does that connect to too many kids wanting to be creators? Because what I'm saying is like the, the uh, excitement to being an influencer is a very specific craft. And I think that that's a moving target and that you're chasing something that's constantly changing. But if you focus on the craft of like saying, I would like to be a very good interviewer the medium will change, but you will become a very good interviewer. Or like, I wanna become a very Got good it. violinist, mm. you know? And then I'll use YouTube to, to bring that forward. But if the YouTube algorithm changes, I'm not gonna change the way I play the violin. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. the craft of making the video is so interesting that that is now the, um, the aspiration is to get really good at finding ways to get people to complete a video. Mm. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. again, like the best filmmakers would probably uh, not be the best YouTube creators. Yeah. They just wouldn't be because the medium is different. Mm -hmm. But I still think it. there's a lot of value to becoming a great filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the aspiration from young people comes from, I think, watching creators and wanting to have the same confidence in identity. Yeah. You know, like a lot of, a lot of creators have spent time. We were, you know, our episode with Doug DeMuro came out this week. He spent years and years in the car industry, working for Porsche, working mm -hmm. at car dealerships, right? taking photos of cars just to send to his friends. Like he, by the time he started out on YouTube, he had a pretty clear understanding of his identity. And then he played the YouTube game and then it became a career. Right. So I think- that's what's infectious is like the end product of mm -hmm. Doug DeMuro, right? Yeah. As you watch him and you're like, wow, he launched cars and bids. He raised yeah, $37 yeah, yeah. million. Dollars, he gets millions of views on his YouTube channel. But that's not what I think uh, is necessarily or should be aspirational. It's like him taking years to find his identity and be happy with who he is mm -hmm. that then allowed him to be successful. Doug's the best. Great guy. Like spending uh, a few hours with Delightful. Doug. Delightful. Unbelievable. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, it was so fun. I guess like back to what I was saying and, and similar to what you're saying is just that 
I think it's been really interesting to my entire adult career life has been trying to find the thing I'm passionate about and see how it works on YouTube. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious and I, I would encourage people to just find the thing they're passionate about and, um, you know, find a way that that they can showcase that on YouTube. But I, I don't know how to articulate it better. It's just like, it's so interesting that when I'm in an experience that I'm enjoying, sometimes I have so much anxiety over how this experience is going to show up on YouTube mm. and perform on YouTube versus like being in that experience and being a craftsman of, you know, being a great interviewer. Mm. I, I think I felt that the most when we talked to Tim Ferriss. So we we recorded a very long episode with Tim Ferriss and it was such a special conversation because I've looked up to Tim Ferriss for a very long time. I think he's an incredible craftsman. And when it came to the conversation, he brought forward like, almost like a pro athlete, like this kind of like this methodology of being an excellent mm -hmm. interview host and a great entrepreneur who runs an interview show. Yeah. Um, and I love that. But also a lot of Tim Ferriss's interviews don't do great on YouTube, but he's a great interviewer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, those yeah. two things are valued separately. I don't know how else to articulate that, but- um, yeah. The second part of this question is important. Do you think that even carving out a career in the creator space will eventually disappear due to the emergence of AI? No. I think if you're willing to be like flexible and adapt what your skill set is and where you fit in. I do think putting myself in the shoes of maybe someone in college who just wants to be an editor, that I'm not sure where opportunities are going. Yeah. I think opportunities to be a storyteller are really high, mm -hmm. you know, but to be specifically an editor to do so certain types of tasks, mm -hmm. like assistant editor roles, yeah. things like that. Like if that's your aspiration, if that's what I wanted to do when I was 18, I'd be a little bit like, what's kind of happening here? Yeah. I think the, um, the trajectory is about to change dramatically because my first job out of college was an assistant editor who synced audio and video mm -hmm. on a Hollywood movie. Yeah. There's no possible way that's a role anymore. Yeah. Right. I don't think so. I don't think so because- that's too easy to be done with a machine. Also like 21 year old me was not to be trusted. I was like almost falling asleep sometimes. The editing room was so dark and so comfortable mm -hmm. and you'd go in and like, I, I didn't drink coffee at the time. So I would just kind of like sit there and it was so dark and I'd be like starting to fall asleep. And then like, I wouldn't trust me in that setting. I would trust a machine in that yeah, setting, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like give me the AI who can yeah. sync audio and video. So yeah, I think that trajectory, I don't know what happens. Like, do you just jump to now, like you have to be such an excellent editor that I want to work with you as a storyteller? Like uh, the assistant editor role, or the junior, you know, editing role might not exist because I just need the person who can take what the machine has done and now help me craft that into a story. Yeah. And then you don't get as much like sitting in the room where it happens, not to, you know, Hamilton, but- like when I sat in the room, when they were editing the film, I learned a ton, mm -hmm. but I was only in that room because I was an assistant editor. Yeah. Is that person not able to be in that room anymore? Because that person might Possibly. not have a job anymore. Yeah. So I think that's, what's going to be interesting is like what roles emerge and what, what gets valued that's still very human. Right. And I think it is like storytelling. It is like your yeah. ability to uh, make people feel something, be, self-aware. For sure. Your ability to connect because I'm coming across a lot of YouTube shorts right now that are hosted by AI. 
Yeah. And what I know is that they're written by ChatGPT as well. The opportunity right now to use AI to drive, to, to, to make money on YouTube and to make content that's informational or educational. I sent you one recently that was hosted by an AI voice that I know well from mm -hmm. 11 Labs. And I was listening to it and I was like, halfway through, I was like, I didn't even care that it was AI. Yeah. I just wanted the information. Mm -hmm. So I do think that there's a lot that's now, you know, oh, wow, someone, like there's going to be a lot of that where it's just AI hosting something to me and it's information. Yeah. But there was a human who thought strategically that that would be the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So there's some level of like strategy that really matters, storytelling that really matters, empathy with audiences that matter, mm -hmm. and then ability to connect. We're still going to have people we want to connect with like faces and, and voices that were like, I like the way that person presents information to me. Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know. But I, I would get to like the more strategic critical thinking level mm -hmm. rather than the like, what if, if it feels like a tedious task, yes, it's going to be replaced. There's a threat to that, I think. Yeah. yeah. I think so. Yeah. Because we are very good at, as human beings of being like, where is something that is tedious, mm -hmm. monotonous, boring, and how do I get rid of it? We've even done that with time, right? Like when you're, you think about when we were standing in line for a bathroom, we didn't even know how boring that was until we got Instagram. Mm -hmm. And now that we have Instagram and TikTok, we're like, you would stand in line without ferociously scrolling through content? Yeah. What an insane thing to do, Yeah. right? Like waiting for, a, waiting for the bathroom and you're third in line, you're just gonna stand, look around, Sometimes I like to force myself to do that, you yeah. know, see what happens. You do? Yeah. I've never seen you do that. Well, I said sometimes. You're not always yeah. there when I go to- Yeah, you know. there's times where even we're talking and it's like the subway surfer meme and we both need more stimulation. So we're ah. talking and then we both start scrolling and we're continuing the conversation. It's like those TikToks that yeah. have another TikTok playing on the right yeah, the side subway of them. Surfer. Yeah. yeah, subway yeah. surfer. They, they yeah, subway surfer. They play subway surfer underneath because yeah. we, we can barely pay attention. And now watching one thing is too boring. I was doing so it's like crazy. I will admit, I was doing a crazy thing this weekend. Okay. I was watching YouTube TV. I was watching a lacrosse game. Okay. Meanwhile, I'm browsing YouTube. Right. On my computer. And if I found something interesting on YouTube, I would pause and the game, watch, that. watch part of the YouTube video. And then when it bored me, I'd go back to the game. Right. And vice versa. Yeah. I was like, this is insane. That's what I'm saying. As humans, we are very good at like finding what's boring and then filling it. And yeah. so I think some of the most tedious tasks will get replaced because that's where we're going to put our energy towards first. Mm -hmm. it, it, we always look at things and we're like, you know what sucks? It's like Uber. Like, you know what sucks? Calling a cab. Mm-hmm. And we fix it. You know what sucks? Taking out your credit card to pay for the cab. Yeah. Yeah. You know what sucks is carrying a wallet with a ton of cards around. What else sucks, Colin? You got any grips? Uh, what else sucks? <laughs> <laughs> While I pull up this next video. I'm you haven't had a gripe. I haven't had a gripe you, in you a while. You haven't had a gripe in weeks. I yeah. guess that's a positive that's thing. It's a positive thing. Um, but you ain't got no gripe. No, no, no. I had the gripe about the uh, the ads that look like TikToks, but they're actually high production mm. value. That was good. What was that? In December? What? All right. This comes from Dino. On Twitter. Hey, Colin and Samir. I was wondering what you guys thought about creator businesses and the idea of creators being the head of the business versus being the face of the business. Um, I think there have been some creators, it seems like they run their business where others are more so just like the mascot of the business that they start. Um, I think this is just interesting because a lot of non entrepreneur. I guess you could say some non-operationally focused people who are creators might think they have to do that versus 
when do you bring someone else into that process to help make it run smoothly and to make it more efficient. So without the creator burning out and getting super stressed. So yeah, we'd love to hear what you guys have to think about that. Okay, my answer to this question is you should only run the business if you were running the business before you became a creator. Because I think if you're a creator, you have to really wanna be in that business to run the business. And most likely you are best suited and the reason the business was started is because you're really good at connecting with a large amount of people who could potentially become users or customers of your business. So I would say the vast majority of times you should remain the visionary and the creator and you should get a COO or a CEO. It's the most successful creator businesses do that. The only outliers are when it happens the inverse, when it's like Gary Vaynerchuk or Alex Hermosi or someone who's, and I don't know how involved they are in their businesses, but you know, if you're going the inverse route, then you probably are running the business and decide to become a content creator because it's valuable for user acquisition. But the, the unfair advantage that creators have is in customer and user acquisition. And that's only going to happen through continuing to create content. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. For me, I, I'm so much more on the creative side that like, I think in a silo without you, I've said this before, like I, I would, I would have found myself in a role where I just did not have to even touch the business side. You know, that's what I would have wanted. It's yeah, like, yeah, how yeah. can I stay as close as possible right. to but the, the creative that I'm making? Even in our relationship, it's uh, largely beneficial to keep you out of the business stuff. Because if more of your mind share is on creative, that is extremely positive for the business. Yeah. And now I'm also entering that world where it's, you know, I, I probably straddled the line like, at times 75, 25, meaning 75% of me being on the business side, 25% of me on the creative side. And that probably has shifted to, you know, maybe 50, 50, or even more than that. Mm -hmm. uh, being like, I might be majority of my time now on creating content. Um, and I think that's beneficial as we've yeah. gotten more uh, business people. And, and if I could get even more, so it'd be even more beneficial. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, you do need someone to have vision as to where you're going and what you're doing. And typically that is going to be the creator, but, you know, having support uh, and not even support someone to run the show. Like Feastables is great because uh, the the CEO of RX Bar, you know, is there and you pair that with Jimmy's ability to reach hundreds of millions of people and you have something great, you know, and, and you look at what like Logan Paul's doing with Prime, the amount of exposure that that has, like the amount of user acquisition, uh, customer acquisition you can have from how much they're pushing it is great. Mm -hmm. But if they are sitting in meetings all day, not great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, it was something that Cassie Ho said to us when we talked to her. You know, she's super ingrained in what she does. Super ingrained. Um, but she also has Sam, her husband, and, and who's her business partner, mm -hmm. and she's built a team. But Sam is really supportive of, you know, that, that business because Cassie needs to spend a lot of time making her shorts that get hundreds of millions of views and that drive customers. As well as being the designer of the clothing. Exactly. She's the, on the creative side of both the, the clothing and the content. I think it's a perfect example. It's like visionary and um, content, like mm -hmm. customer relations, yeah. right? Like find me customers and connect with them. And then you have the vision because you're the closest mm -hmm. to the end user. And sometimes it's definitely in the creator's benefit, like you were saying, to not be as in the weeds. Even when we were speaking with Cassie, she didn't know how many yoga mats they've sold. Right. But that's fine. That's fine. Like she yeah. should be focused on making the best yoga mat, what yeah. she's inspired to make, what she and thinks how the do you customers- communicate that to the, the audience? Yeah, yeah, she's her own customer, right? Like she right. is that person. So she just needs to be really in tune with what she's making. 
All right. Question from Sir Yacht, a little bit in the weeds here. For your interviews, how do you choose what to keep in and what to remove during the editing process? Yeah, we've actually gotten to the point where if it doesn't provide value to our audience, which we consider to be, you know, education for creators, and it does not over-index on a personality moment, like a good laugh or an emotional story, then we'll take it out. That's kind of the two things. It's like, is it a personal emotional moment that'll make you feel something or is it educational? Yeah, and I think also if it uh, if we're on like a certain track, because we come from the world of documentary filmmaking, like it's an unscripted piece of content, right? So if it takes you off a certain track, yeah, then we'll probably remove it as well or move it somewhere else. Move it somewhere else. Um, and that that comes from like a very filmmaker background of if you're watching a documentary. And like right now, if you're watching a documentary about us making this show and then something completely random happened, like my mom calls and I talk to her about something like a trip I'm taking in two years. Mm -hmm. uh, sure, you could have that in. But if that took like 15 minutes and then we got back to making the show, it would take you two out of it, you know, and you'd be like, What's are you planning trips two years from the day? No, I honestly, can I be honest? I... I'm planning a trip for next month that I've just started booking. Yeah. Okay. I was going to yeah. say two which years is, from now. Which is crazy. A trip for I mean, two I, think, years. I think that culture comes from like how fast the creator space moves. And like in our past five years or 10 years of working together, like typically a trip comes up and then we book a ticket and it's like next week. Like things yeah. happen so fast. I feel that, like a crazy person when I'm speaking with my parents and I'm like, yeah, yeah. You're like, I'm, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to be in New York tomorrow. Yeah. And they're like, what? And I'm like, it came up two days ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We were talking about it for a By while. The way, we're going to be in New York next week. Exactly. Yeah. We're going to be in New York next week uh, in case anyone's there and wants to hang out. Yeah. Uh, and we are also going to be at VidCon if anyone's there. And should I announce this right now? Is this like an announcement? Hit them. We're going to do a live version of creator support at VidCon. So if you're at VidCon, we're going to record a live episode. I thought you were going to tell people that we're also going to London. Should I tell him? I already told him. We're going to London. Yeah. Taking so, the show on the road. Taking the show on the road. We're starting to talk to some London-based creators and interview them. If you have creators you think we should interview out there, let us know. We are in talks right now, but would love some more ideas. Okay. To close the loop on that question, all I'll say is that we take conversations and edit them into stories. Yes. That is not your normal podcast. No. Yeah. It is not. This is a conversation. Yes. And what you're watching, what you're listening to is the way that it happened. On the main channel, sometimes it's shifted a little bit. I'm guessing we're in the deep end. Kind of. I can feel. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're in the deep end. All right. We're in the deep end. Um, so this question, so there's a couple of posts in the subreddit about the TikTok creativity program. I don't even, I never heard of that. Never heard of it. Never heard of that. But someone posted um, the difference between how much they were making in the creator fund versus the creativity program. So this is, almost a year in the creator fund posted 152 videos, 87 million views and got paid $2,419. The creativity program beta started in February of this year. So 227.23 to today, which is May 28 videos, 38 million views got paid $15,000, $15,464. That is a dramatic difference. Yeah. Um, for how many views? 38 million. 38 million views, $15,000. And 87 million views, $2,000. In the fund. In the fund. Okay. Yeah, so that's a dramatic difference. So, I don't really understand what the, what the creativity program is. I'm guessing the creativity program is advertising-based. 
mm-hmm. similar to YouTube Shorts now, yeah. splitting revenue from an advertising perspective. Yeah. Whereas the fund is a limited amount of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the more views, actually the less money that goes out. I think you have to be sharing revenue at this point as a platform. Like you have to be. I don't know if that's how the creativity program works, but if that is like, you know, that's what you have to be doing. I think ads and snap stories, you know, how they're doing it. Obviously those are really big numbers right now, but like that, if that works and revenue sharing with ads that show up in stories works great. If that can start working on Instagram, you know, great. Cause like I was thinking about the concept that, you know, we, we, we talked about this on the show, but we went very viral on Instagram and the, you know, to the tune of like 12 million views across two, um, two reels and amazing growth, like incredible growth on the account. Mm-hmm. But it's so interesting that there's no like, I'm so used to a level of monetization, you know? And what happened was Instagram kept giving us these like gamified thumbs ups that were like, your reel crossed 5,000 views. Your reel crossed 10,000 views. Yeah. Keep going. Your reel crossed 100,000 views. And I was like, what am I to do? with these congrats. Yeah. With like emojis. What am I to do with this? Yeah. You know, what, what do I do with this? Like, I didn't understand the the gamification of that Yeah, because the context of posting content that is attracting a lot of people or engaging a lot of people right now, that context is revenue share, especially, I guess for us, we're like in the career. I think we're just used to it from coming from a YouTube perspective. Sure. Right. Like the idea of posting, content on a platform that's advertising backed and not having access to right. any of the revenue from the advertising. Yeah, it feels kind of For funny. us, it's kind of strange, but. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, this question comes from Twitter from Josh A. Hmm? Says, how are you, Colin? Parentheses, not Samir. So this is only for you. Interesting. Um, I think probably alluding to the amount that I speak and uh, asking you how you are. Oh. I'm good. I had a nice uh, weekend. I think, as you saw, I got a new shirt, a new green shirt last week. And the compliments were, like, out of control. I, I do think I wore the shirt too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I only would give it one day in between wearing the shirt again. Yeah. So I think that's too much. But this weekend, I uh, was walking into Justa. I was going to get a coffee. And this girl was like, that's a great shirt. Where'd you get it? And I told her where I got it. Got it at Cotton On. And she said, wow, you're a real influencer. And that's it. That's the story. But it's just like, it was such a nice compliment. And this shirt has changed my life. One shirt, all it takes. That's how I'm doing. Anything? That's how you're doing? Yeah. Okay. I'm like riding off a good new shirt. Good. You know what that's like. Get a new piece of clothing and everyone's like, wow. Yeah. Great jacket. Mm -hmm. That's how I'm doing. That's good. Yeah. (laughs) So are you going to wear that on stage next week? Maybe. Maybe. You are. I'd like to. Is it on your color palette? or No, it's no? not on my color palette. So then you can't, Colin. So you for can't. anyone listening, <laughs> we're doing an event with YouTube and they kind of give you recommendations for yeah. what you should wear in your color palette. And I've been given light blue mm. and red. Not, I don't wear these clothes. Wait, I, you wear light blue? I don't, I don't wear light blue. You don't? No. I wore it one time and I gave that jacket away. You did? I gave it to Chris. Oh, oh you're right. That was yeah. such a good jacket. Okay. Um, one thing that we didn't talk about, which I am very excited to listen to, I know you listen to it, is um, Matt from Yes Theory on Nathaniel Drew's No Backup Plan. Yeah. Now, Matt left Yes Theory um, and stepped away from you know being a part of the videos, and he's a very close friend of mine, and I haven't listened to this yet. 
but I know that there was a quote on there um, where he was urging people to not be a creator. Do you have more context on that? Or I know you were sharing about that before the episode. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting. Uh, Nathaniel asks him, like, do you have any advice for social media creators? And Matt just goes, don't do it. And, you know, what he gets into is that he, one, was diagnosed with a, with a dissociative disorder. So kind of a separation of your identity and yourself and having like a, a mismatched understanding of your actual identity. Mm. Uh, that's separate from social media, but he talks about how it played into why being a creator was difficult for him. Yeah. That there was an identity of who he was in the videos, who he was on Instagram, and it started to confuse who he maybe was in real life. Mm. And he even went as far as to delete his Instagram account that had 350,000 or something followers. And he said that guys, you know, like Amar was like, what are you doing? That's crazy. Yeah, I, I, I sat with him right down the street from here over coffee. And I was like, can you get it back? Because he didn't just deactivate it. Yeah. He just deleted, deleted it. it. And oh. I was like, I'm sure we can talk to Instagram. Yeah. I'm sure we can get it back. I remember I was, I mean, it was, this was five years ago or six years ago, but yeah. I was like, dude, we have to get it back. And he said he deleted it because it was just a commitment to his mental health. Yeah. Um, Which I commend him for. Yeah. Yeah. But it made me think about, you know, back to the earlier question of like, are too many young people wanting to be influencers? Mm. Got me thinking about being young, wanting this career, and before your identity has been fully molded, letting this be an input, yeah. letting viewership, letting the pulse of what's being created dictate who you are. I think also self-editing. Mm -hmm. like Self-editing is really strange. Yeah. Um, yeah. Editing yourself to be a version of yourself that will perform. Yeah. So strange, you know, at a young age. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I haven't listened to that yet. I'm excited to listen to that. I'd really like to listen to that. I think that perspective is really good. Mm -hmm. I, I always like hearing all types of different perspectives. Uh, we have three minutes left because we have a hard out for a phone call, Colin. Wow. You just gave a hard out to Hard out to, to you, the That's audience. Intense. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Hard yeah, out. listen, we got a hard out, guys. So okay. um, That's so much yeah. pressure on these last a few minutes. Yeah, any more questions from you oh, that you want to ask us? Because we only have three minutes here, okay? So <laughs> I, that's, I, you know what? I might say a hard out is a gripe of mine. When, when someone, people say When people say I have you, a hard out. You just out. griped yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was more of a joke. All right, we have a 46-second question from HD. Let's see if we can answer this in the next couple minutes. Hey, Colin and Samir. I've developed second channel syndrome and it's kind of Colin's fault. I was diagnosed with diabetes recently and hearing Colin say, Some of the best stories are full of moments, not shots. A shot is something, it's like B-roll. You can get it at any time. Right. But you could never capture the first time that Kanye is at that party and he goes up and shakes Jay-Z's hand. It's right. priceless. Really made me want to capture the beginning perspective of a diabetic. My other channel has 5,000 subscribers and I've contracted an editor and a thumbnail designer. Now, given that information, what would each of you do if you were in my shoes? It would be cool if you guys heard each other's perspective for the first time when answering my question, just to see how different or alike you guys actually are. It's a good question. So the question is, should he start a second channel? Yeah. Uh, I think uh, he's also suggesting like he has a channel that is kind of like an engine, right? 5,000 subscribers. He's got a team. He's pumping out videos. But now he has a new thing that's happened in his life. He's, he's become diabetic and would like to tell that story. But it may, might not fit in with his main channel, right? Mm -hmm. My suggestion is to explore first, is it that you want to create and, and document this experience that you're having, is that the same as sharing it? Do you want to share it? 
And second, does it need to be a YouTube channel? Yeah, I think that's the question that everyone should ask. This show used to be a audio only podcast mm-hmm. and that was our second channel. I think what you're talking about is, is just, you want another outlet yeah. to tell a different story. Mm-hmm. And I would just challenge, like, does that need to be a YouTube channel? Um, do you need to share it immediately? Is it something that you document for yourself and then eventually put together? Mm-hmm. You know, a, a YouTube channel is an ongoing series, right? It's an ongoing amount of content. Yeah. Maybe what you want to do is just document the story, let it form, let it take shape, and then figure out how you want to share it. Yeah. I would say along the lines of the moments, not shots, if that's something that inspired you, I would think about capturing those moments as you're going through this experience. Right. I wouldn't think about anything else outside of how are you going to capture some of these moments as you experience them for the first time. And then you can figure out what you want to do with them. But yeah. I don't think you want to add the constraint of a channel to this new experience. Yeah, thumbnails, yeah. titles. Yeah, like I think uploading. This is, what you just want to do 10, is capture it authentically. Yeah. If that's what you want to do. Because I think that one of the most special things about the, the Kanye doc, um, from my memory of that, um, was that that footage was so old and that had never been released. Mm-hmm. You know, like capturing something. Like the, the, in, in the time of YouTube, we have this incredible desire to be like, I, ca- I captured something. I need to get it out. I need yeah. to release it. But there's so much value to capturing something and letting it take shape and form. Mm-hmm. Letting it like emerge into the story over years and years and years. And maybe the version of that today is months or weeks, but we don't really have that, you know, we don't have that anymore of like, I just captured this amazing moment. I'm going to wait a few years and see how this story unfolds. Yeah. But I think that that is something just decouple the sharing from the, from the desire to capture. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that secondary outlet that you're looking for is just a creation. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily distribution. Yeah. It's a good place to end. That is a nice place to end. Yeah. Okay. Next week, we are going to do an episode primarily focused on your questions about brand deals. So if you're interested or have questions around sponsorships, brand deals, how those work, let us know. Let us know those questions. You can comment them here. You can tweet them at us. Um, You can email them to us. And very soon, very, very soon, I've said this a few weeks in a row, but now very, very soon, you can put them in our Discord server. Make sure you have a Discord account. Get it ready because it's coming soon. All right, we'll see you next week.